Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Anvil, the story of Anvil follows Canadian heavy metal band Anvil as they delivered a highly influential 1982 album called Metal on Metal that would inspire the likes of Anthrax and Metallica and then dropped off the map to begin what would become decades of toiling in obscurity. Director and former Anvil Rhodey, Sasha Gervazzi, follows guitarist Steve Lips Cudlow and drummer Rob Reiner as they stumble through a harrowing history. But fear not, the film is wonderful and uplifting and encouraging for all of humanity. We're joined today by the director, and that would be Sasha Gervasi. Sasha, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you, Mike. I'm very excited to be on your show. It's been, uh, you know, it was delayed. Our original date was 2009. So 13 year delays I'm I'm aware of. And so I'm glad we're finally connecting. Well, I am so glad that we have connected. And it reminded me seeing it again, what an incredible experience it was to watch it the first time and to revisit it again this time. And this amazing story. I watched it again with an audience last summer for the first time in quite a few years. And it was really astonishing to see how after COVID and everything, how the sort of the themes of the film seem to resonate, you know, even even more deeply, perhaps, because it's about people, you know, friends who have a dream, who who face quite challenging, difficult circumstances, who somehow persevere, persevere through all of them. They persevere through them. And um there's a little bit of hope at the end. And it's the kind of story my godson tells me anyway, who's seven, who's 18 now, that uh, you know, him and his friends need right now, having had several years of being quite depressed. So that's the astonishing thing. We've we've been taking the movie out, as you may or may not be aware. We were in New York with Peter Dinklage last week and then in LA. Um, yeah, two weeks ago and then in LA last week. And, you know, these kids have been showing up and loving the movie as much as their older brothers or dads did 13 years ago. So it's uh, it's a gift, this film that has a life of its own, apparently, but it's, it's it's you know, it's great to be part of. Yeah, you just had an event at the Saban Theater here in Los Angeles. It sounds like it went really well. Well, it was amazing. I mean, we had, you know, our original premiere was at the Egyptian Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, about 600 people, 1,200 people showed up. So we had a, a premiere twice the size as the original one 13 years later. And everyone from all these young TikTok influencers to Steve-O from Jackass, who was the host, to Matt Bellamy, the lead singer of Muse, who have the number one record in the States right now, to Dustin Hoffman, and, and all these kids showed up. So it was just a mad scene. Um, and, and it was just like, what is going on? I mean, this, this film, you know, has something clearly that people have have resonated with and uh, resonate with and um i don't i mean yeah it just shows you that those evergreen stories about never giving up you yeah. know still yeah. matter they matter to kids, they do know, matter they did to their parents they do and i want to let people know that you can in fact see the film is being re-released as well uh, on september 27th today 
actually. Just today, it's in 220 theaters across the US and Canada, which is quite astonishing. So, and then there'll be more screenings. It's got week long runs in New York and other places. So the movie will sort of roll out across America, but it is a quite an astonishing thing because from our point of view, the original release was about 40 theaters or 50 theaters. So this is about four or five times the scale of the original release, 13 years after the fact. It's it's pretty unusual. <laughs> and uh, a lot of it is due to the fan, you know, the company Utopia, who are big fans of the movie and they love it. And they just feel, hey, to these young people, this is a new movie. They've never heard of the band or the movie. So we'll just treat it like a new film. And that's what they've been doing, which has been obviously fantastic. And now we're going to England in three and a half weeks. There's a big, uh, in the middle of London, there's a big event with the band and myself relaunching the remastered version. So it's exciting to be part of, you know, because who knew? <laughs> like what? But, you know, that's sometimes in life, you know, good stuff happens as well as these troubling, challenging things that I'm sure all of us have dealt with in the past in the past few years. Well, let's go back to the origin story. And that would be how you got to know about Anvil, how you became part of their history and the amazing, remarkable, resilient duo of Steve Lips, Kudlow and Rob Reiner to the two compelling catalysts for this entire story and how right. you got to know them. Yeah, I mean, I was a fan of the band. You know, I saw the front cover of Sounds. I think it was April 6, 1982. Sounds was a big music sort of newspaper a la Rolling Stone, but mostly for rock in the UK. It was big. There were Sounds, NME, and Melody Maker were the three huge music papers. And across them, they would cover everything from Pink Floyd to The Clash and the punk movement. And at that time, the, the new wave of British heavy metal. Um, bands like, you know, Saxon and Iron Maiden and at that time Def Leppard and, you know, and and in comes Anvil from Toronto. Out of nowhere, Lips appears on the front cover of Sounds, brandishing a chainsaw in his leather gear, clenching a dildo between his teeth. And it said the headline was Anvil is coming. And it's like if you're 15 years old and you see Lips um, <laughs> with a chainsaw, you're like, this is really going to upset my mother. I'm uh, This is great. Uh, but then I heard the record, and the record was ast astonishing. Metal on Metal was just searing, brilliant, just uh, so heavy. Songs like Mothra, 666, March of the Crabs. They were some of the first songs in the genre later known as speed or thrash metal. This was like the kind of the beginning. And those, and that band, and it was such a heavy band that I went to see them play at the Marquee. And they were so nice to me because I went backstage, I got to meet them. They were super cool. They'd never been to London. They actually had never been to England. They'd never been out of Canada. They got their passports for that trip. So I was 15. They were mid-20s. And I got to show them around the House of Parliament and the Tate Gallery. And it was astonishing. Um, and they said, what are you doing next summer? And I said, well, I'm on school holiday. And they said, well, do you want to come join our tour? And you can be Rob's drum roadie, because I was obsessed with Rob Reiner's drumming. And I said, sure. And I found a way to kind of get away. And I lied to my mother and said, I've got to see my dad, who I wasn't speaking to. Flew to New York and showed up and I said, Dad, I'm not really here for you. I'm here to go on this road with this band called Anvil. And uh, my dad was lecturing in economics at Oxford at the time. And he said, I have to meet Anvil. So in his three-piece Jeeves and Hall Savile Road suit, he went to meet Anvil with me and interrogated them. Can you let my son go on this tour? Um, and he was sufficiently, um, I wouldn't say impressed, but sufficiently um, reassured that I was allowed to then go on this tour and I was Rob's drum roadie. And I ended up doing that for three years. And it was an incredible experience. Um, 
<laughs> it was sort of at the time of Live Aid, and I remember being part of Metal Aid in our Albany, New York, which was hilarious. Um, notable for the fact that the lead guitarist of the Scorpions, Matthias Yabs, strolled into the dressing room, Amber's dressing room, drunk, and said, who is Africa? Uh, because he was doing a benefit <laughs> concert for a, a, someone he thought was a person called Africa, but it was actually pointed out to him by lips that actually Africa is a continent, not a human being. So, you know, th this kind of madness was was <laughs> was going on. And I just love these guys. It was funny. It was great. I was sort of living this almost famous, like, roadie existence with this metal band I loved. And, you know, invariably, as happens, you know, I grew up, I got 18, 19, got into David Bowie and Lou Reed and the Stooges and lost my Did heavy metal. Did you really? Oh, my God. Yeah. Now you're talking. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. that happens to some kids. Yeah. You, know, but you never lose the heavy metal thing. You just want to explore other things. You know, yeah. I heard Hunky Dory by David Bowie, and I was like, wow. And then I loved, you know, the... <laughs> sound and vision and you know i just loved all that that bowie stuff but anyway but i never really didn't like heavy metal i just kind of expanded my musical portfolio and i lost touch with anvil you know by the kind of mid 80s i would guess by probably 86 or whatever and then by 2005 i was wondering where are anvil again and i called up this uh, i wrote to this website and lips wrote me back immediately and i i flew to la that weekend he was wearing the same Scorpions T-shirt that he'd been wearing 20 years before when I'd last seen him. And he was still full of, full of like, we're going to do it. We're doing our 13th record. And I was like, initially, I was like, my God, this guy is like, this is so sad. Like he's, you know, all these bands, Metallica and Anthrax and Slayer, all of whom are in the movie have, you know, have, have become successful and, and they haven't. And why wouldn't you just give up? And, but by the end of the weekend with him, I was like, I was so kind of, I was so moved by his lack of bitterness and his continuing passion that I was just like, fuck it, man. I, I think I want to make a movie. And so I set out to make this homemade movie about my old friends 20 years after I'd last seen them. And um, it's gone on to become one of those kind of, I guess, cult movies, but just it's a, it's a sort of loved film across music, across, across the creative arts in a way that, you know, I couldn't have possibly predicted um, but here we are on the second release, which is also kind of pretty unprecedented, 13 years after the first release. So it's um, if you're lucky, this happens as a filmmaker once in your lifetime. And um, it's happened with this film. So I'm I'm just so happy to be part of it. And like all great things, I had no idea what I was doing. And that's if there's anyone creative out there, you know, whether you're a filmmaker or not, a fine artist or a potter or even a long distance runner. One of our big fans is uh, Rich Roll, who does this incredible thing called the Rich Roll Podcast, and he loves the movie and has been very inspired by it. Um, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, for any creatives out there, it's like when you have no idea what you're doing, that's, that's a sign that you may be doing something interesting. <laughs> so that's what happened with this movie. I just followed my instinct and I fought for it and I stayed true to it and I made the movie and you know, it's probably the thing or one of the things, you know, I'll be remembered for. And I'm thrilled to say that I had no clue. I had no idea what I was up to. Well, I just had to tell this story about my friend. Yeah. And that's the thing. And the things you're talking about with uh, Steve Lips Kudlow is the consistency of his character, the consistency of his outlook on life. Those things come through from the very beginning to the very end. And and also his relationship with Rob Reiner and their their brotherhood. But through it all, they believed in one another. They continued, exactly. I assume, in this period. Hmm? 
They continue to. I mean, since the movie, the band's kept touring. They now they now do music as their full-time job. They've given up all the day jobs. They make money. They tour the world. And they've released six more records since the film. And, you know, it's it's awesome. Yeah. Um, this is one of the things that uh, struck me about the film, the making of the film, the history, its sort of journey unto itself, in some ways mirrors their journey in the sense yeah, totally, that, totally yeah totally i mean it was a self-financed film we had no idea whether it was going to work we had no idea whether there was an ending we had no idea just it was the biggest risk of my life i mean i risked kind of everything on this movie you know once you're in it's very hard to get out you know i i, I put i you know i made the film it got an amazing reception at sundance it was a very tough time in the dot market remember when this movie debuted, all the music documentaries like Searching for Sugar Man and Amy and 20 Feet from Stardom and, you know, that had not happened. You know, I think Anvil was one of those films that I think, in a way, opened the door to a lot of those films. They certainly did in terms of the Academy rules around music documentaries. But in terms of the kind of film it was, it was unexpected. It was behind, behind the music. It wasn't the same old story. Right. It was a much more personal, intimate and honest portrait of what it really is like to be a working musician and what musicians encounter, and as Lip says in the movie, 99.9% .9 of bands don't make it, which is true. They don't have, you know, it's the Rolling Stones and Duran Duran and Justin Bieber, you know, that is 0.1% of, of the bands that are out there trying to make a living. But that's not 0.1% of the bands on the road, touring, trying to keep going. You know, most bands are like that. So I think we were telling a story that hadn't really been told or wanted to be told, um, but it was a highly risky thing. Uh, at Sundance, we had really no major offers, and I took a second mortgage on my house to release the film. You know, it was extraordinary, the response. It, it, it just continues to this day where, you know, obviously, you know, we won quite a few awards, but also it, the, the movie traveled around the movie. It did pretty well in the U.S., actually. It's, we sold 150,000 DVDs in the U.S. alone, which was like a pretty amazing thing for a self-financed documentary. And you know, it's become sort of quite legendary in places like England where we're going back to. So it's just an extraordinary, it's just who could have known? And it so easily could have gone wrong. And it did. <laughs> but we just, as you said, the foot, we persevered just like the band did, you know. Um, yeah. I'm going to, tonight I'm in LA, I'm going to go to the Grove Theatre, you know, which is one of the mainstream AMC theatres in LA. And I'm going to sit in the movie theatre and watch watch Anvil. I'm sure there'll be three of us there, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. We made it there. It's a miracle. Well, so uh, we're excited. That's yeah. very in keeping with what Lips would say. It doesn't matter. There's, exactly. there's As he said, After the worst tour in history, he says, you know, did things go wrong? They went drastically wrong, but at least there was a tour for them to go wrong on. Exactly. And that sums up the attitude. It's like, you know, you can look at any situation negatively or positively. You could say, okay, Anvil's not a successful band. You could also say they've been true to their roots and they've been they've made they're about to record their 20th record and they make their living full time from music and they're beloved around the world and they're actually now legends. Right. So someone could look at that and say they're not successful. Someone else might say, hey, hold on a second. They, they've pursued what they love consistently and made a living from it for their whole lives. You know, And they did it their I, way. They did it their exactly. way. Yeah. Exactly. They did it their way. Yeah. Yeah. As we talked before we got started. I'm a big music fan. I love music. And everybody who is a music fan truly loves all kinds of different kinds of music. Every one of us has a band 
that we love that never made it. Of course. Every one of us do. I have, I have my a band. great band. There was a great English band from 1991. Um, Alice Temple was the singer and Egg White. It was this great record that no one's ever heard of called 24 Years of Hunger by Egg and Alice. And it's this legendary album. And I love that band. And you just, they're just, no one, they just disappeared. But it was like seminal record to me and my friends in London. And there are so many examples of that. That you can't quite believe that they didn't make it. Yeah, I've got one. It's a bit quirky, but nonetheless, it's a Canadian artist, Mary Margaret O'Hara. She's the sister of Catherine O'Hara from SCT. Oh, wow. And she made one album called Miss America and never it made was it. Right. It was fantastic. So, again, we all have those. And I think that's one of the reasons why it connects with the audience as well. Everybody loves music, but, and everyone is going through something that, that Lips and Rob are going through where mm -hmm. something we love, we're doing, we're not getting the recognition. It's right. a great story. It's just a great yeah. story. It's, it's amazing. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes after, you know, 13 years of, yeah. you yeah. know. No, it's definitely, um, we got a lot of support from people like Anthony Lane at the New Yorker. Yes. yes. Mark Commode, who's one of my favorite reviews and, you know, called it a masterpiece. I mean, look, that's up to other people to decide. But of course, it's an amazing thing. And when you feel that support, and trust me, I've had it the other way, you know, it, it, you, you just you just relish the fact that people understand what you're trying to do and so have supported it. But yeah, it's been, you know, critically, has we've had a lot of support from people who understood, I think, the originality of the movie, but most importantly, felt the emotion of the movie. Right. You know, it's a very, very emotional film. And seeing it as it played last night, uh, sorry, last Thursday in L.A., I mean, we had 1,200 people there. I mean, people were, you know, laughing and cheering and in tears. And, um, and it was just super emotional to see a film resonate with 1,200 people in a theater. It was a boisterous, loud, crazy, anarchic screening. And that was not helped by the fact that Steve-O of Jackass was the host. Yeah, <laughs> which makes yeah. it even more crazy. Yeah. So, but it's just the most satisfying thing. I mean, that's why I got into the movie business. I'm trying to communicate something through my work, hopefully offer something positive. In this case, you know, to send the message that, you know, you can go through the worst awful times. But, you know, watch Anvil and realize if those guys can go through that and still have a hopeful ending, then there's got to be hope for everyone, right? It's like, without hope, we're all done, particularly these times, which are so challenging. So, you know, I think it's a very emotional film. In fact, that emotion has been sort of amplified. And I feel so lucky that, you know, I was able to channel this movie. And I think also as an artist, any artist who thinks they're the source of anything great that happens, I think is a bit deluded. You, you know, if you're an artist, if you're lucky, you're taking notes and what you're taking down is good. That's wonderful. But that's that's being blessed with good fortune because talent is something that you're given. And but it's not something you earned. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you've got to service it right. So for me, it was absolutely an extraordinary experience the other night. And also in New York with Peter Dinklage, we had a standing ovation there. And I asked how many people had never seen the movie before. And two thirds of the audience's hands went up. So that's the best part is this is for a new audience. This is not for the old one. In your own career, as you went forward with, with your career, writer of The Terminal, um, also director of Hitchcock and My Dinner with Hervé. And mm -hmm. as an artist, you obviously this has been an important part of your career, but also continuing to, to be the artist that you want to be. And I can't imagine that 
Lips hasn't rubbed off on you in that regard in many ways. To, yeah, I mean, to totally. I mean, I couldn't imagine that, you know, Anthony Hopkins would be a huge Anvil fan and allow me to direct him in Hitchcock, but he did, which was, you know, extraordinary. And then working with Helen Mirren in the same film and we we're working together again. And, you know, I, that performance earned her a BAFTA nomination and a SAG and a Golden Globe nomination, you know, her performance as Hitchcock's wife. You know, th these are all things directly attributable to Anvil and that experience, because it just shows that if you coming from the heart, somehow or other, you, you can't fail. You, you know, you may not sort of win or progress in the way that you think or expect or in the time you think or expect. But I never would have imagined in a million years that Anthony Hopkins and Helen Mirren would be Anvil fans, but they are. So, well, my, congr my yeah. congratulations to you on the work, on this film, on the re-release, as we said September 27th, as we speak, it yeah. is being released, not only in theaters, but also available on VOD and the usual that, that's platforms. That's actually for another month or so, but you can go to anvilthefilm.com because the film will be rolling out across the US and Canada through uh, late September and early October, and then it'll come out a little bit later. I think November 1st, it'll be our SVOD digital. So it'll be in theaters for at least the next few weeks. And that's great to be able to see this kind of movie that was homemade and I edited at my kitchen table. I mean, tonight I'm going to the AMC Grove where <laughs> there'll be Anvil and then there'll be Marvel movies in the next theater. And it just, <laughs> it's so ludicrous. It makes me laugh and I'm just going to celebrate that. Well, congratulations. Congratulations. We've been Thank talking. You, Thanks for your yeah. support. And, and uh, I really appreciate it. And Come. send the message out there, man. If you haven't seen the movie, go see it and and tell it, let us know what you, what you think. Very good. We've been speaking with the director, editor, writer, all the all the hats you can wear for Anvil, the story of Anvil, the re-release. Sasha Javasi, thank you so very much for being here. Thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Music